Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. I feel like Peter on the Mount Transfiguration. We need to pitch some tents here and camp here for a while. Uh, I'm going to do what I can in this passage. I won't do it justice, but uh, we'll have a, a few nuggets we can grab onto here. There was once this man who was a regular diner at a certain restaurant, and the owner always wanted to please him, as I think you want to please your customers. And, but this one day this man complained he was receiving one piece of bread for his meal. So the waiter probably brought him four slices. Man said, that's good, but it's not good enough. I love bread. So the next time he was there, he was given six slices of supper, and he said, good, but you still, aren't you a bit frugal? Even a basketful the next time he came in didn't stop the complaints. And finally, the owner had had enough and decided to end this for good. The next night, he had a colossal loaf of bread baked. It was six feet long, three feet wide. It took the manager and two waiters to carry it to the table. And when they laid it on the table, the huge loaf took up five place settings. They stood there and smiled, waiting for the man's reaction. The man looked at the gigantic loaf of bread and said, so, we're back to one piece of bread now. <laughs> Don't we love bread? Most of us do. i got to watch it. Now, during the French Revolution, when the mobs of Paris were rioting and demonstrating outside the palace of Queen Marie Antoinette, they were protesting their poverty, which was terrible, and they said to her, we have no bread. So that was a word given to her. You know this famous story, and this is true. And she is remembered for saying her hard-hearted and indifferently, I think she was just clueless. She said, they said, we have, they have no bread. She said, let them eat cake. She didn't know what was going on. In this story... John's gospel, the crowd of people are saying to Jesus, in effect, we have no bread. But his reply to that was very different than what we might imagine. In this great discourse, and we're going to do what we can in a few minutes we have together, I want to unpack two great exhortations that Jesus presents to the crowd here. There's so much more here. I think I have four or five sermons out of this passage. I'm going to do one and do two points on this one. The first is, the first point, let me see if I can get this thing going here. There we go. Is don't work for the bread that perishes. That's verse 27. Now, again, the background. For the last two weeks, we looked in the Gospel of John and we saw the feeding of the 5,000 plus, we said, beginning of chapter 6. And then after that was over with, when he dismissed the crowd, he sent disciples we saw last week into the boat and had a big storm. And Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. In the middle of the night, Jesus came walking on the water. And we saw the parallel passage with, uh, uh, with, Mark, with Matthew also. So it's still in the, in the same uh, context here, the same flow of, of the events happening here. Now, we didn't read, but at the very end of this passage in verse 59, 
Uh, John tells us Jesus said these things, we're going to look at in just a minute, in a synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So as he walks to the water, comes to the disciples in the water, next thing we know, we saw last week, they're at the shore, and they're in Capernaum, which is kind of Jesus' headquarters right now, where he's living right now. And apparently this discourse we see that I just read and what was before and after was in the synagogue there in Capernaum. Um, they are, in verse 26, they're looking for signs. And signs in the Gospel of John is a way of saying miracles. They're looking for a miracle. This, this crowd, uh, whether they were the same crowd that would cross the lake, probably not. Uh, they know Jesus does miracles and looking for bread. They heard about the bread, I'm sure. Uh, news travels fast, and this is not a big area. In the, it was the other side of the lake. They were looking for a sign for a miracle. Feed us, feed us, feed us. Give us bread like Moses did. Now, in this passage of Scripture, I think it's very clear that these people greatly misunderstood who Jesus is, what he was doing, and what he was saying to them. They, they just were not on the same wave frequency as Jesus. In fact, no other passage of Scripture more clearly reveals the confusion in the average person's mind about Jesus. They're trying to figure this man out, and they are really confused. And that reminds me of a man who wore a button on his lapel labeled Bach, B-A-I-K. He asked what those letters stood for. He replied, it stands for, boy, am I confused. When he was reminded the confused spelled a C and not a K, he said, you don't know how confused I am. <laughs> I need one of those. B-A-I-K, that's what I need. Well, they were B-I-A-K. They were confused about Jesus. I'm sure if he talked with many people, they'd have different, different perspectives of who Jesus is. He's a miracle worker. He's a prophet. He's a magician. He's a nice guy. No, he's full of the demons. I don't know. This crowd was confused. They didn't know who he was or what he was trying to be about. Now, notice here that Jesus must correct their confusion. He first of all says to them in, in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes. Now, what does he mean by that? Now, of course, he's not saying don't work for a living. That's not what he's saying. And I hope, hope no one that time understood that of us today. Many might take these words literally and go on welfare. But Jesus is not advocating that. What he means, don't work merely to get food. You with me? Food's important, amen? You had some good food last night. It's necessary for life. And you have to earn your bread, earn your food, but don't let that be the sole reason for your working. Rather, work, Jesus says, for the food which endures to eternal life. These people, like many today, clearly felt the most important thing in life is to keep alive, to be healthy, and be strong and sufficient economically. That's what life's all about, they thought. This is clearly the majority view of people even today, all over the world. That's why people work. They work to live, to get food. So these scriptures, even though written many years ago, still are relevant today. So Jesus asked the same question, really, for us. What are you working for? Are you working merely to make a living? Just have a nice home? to be comfortable and be ready for the weekend? 
Are you one of those whom it said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is ready for the weekend? Some people that way. If so, our Lord's saying, when you get all this, we'll find yourself, is there all there is? Is this, is this it? Sooner or later, you're going to come to that conclusion. I think that's true of all humanity. The thing that makes human beings different from animals is that having a full belly and a comfortable place to rest does not satisfy us. Years ago, Barbara Waters had a television program, and she did some interviews with different people. And on this particular program, she interviewed three celebrities, uh, Johnny Carson, Johnny Cash, and Walter Cronkite. These are interesting people in their own right. Johnny Carson came across a typical jaded playboy hedonist. Everything he said telegraphed the fact that he was living for pleasure, and having tried everything and been everywhere, he was kind of fed up with the whole thing. Walter Cronkite, the suave humanist, the worldly philosopher, at that time he had been retired and he was wealthy. He was enjoying life as best he could. He was looking very philosophical, and he was really kind of saying, that's the way it is. Johnny Cash, on the other hand, admitted his background of alcoholism and dope addiction, and the fact he had virtually destroyed a marriage and wrecked his life, but he openly said that he had found Jesus. There was peace in his eyes, contentment in his voice. He spoke of a hope of the future, which neither of the other two had. Johnny Carson. Johnny Cash made it very clear that he had found what Jesus was talking about here in our text, the bread of life, bread that lasts beyond mere satisfaction of physical hunger. Thus, Jesus had to correct their view of life, and I think our view of life too, as it still corrects today in our 21st century. The majority view that the only reason to work is to get enough money to make us comfortable. That kind of view must be corrected because it will not work. He directs the crowd to put their energy into learning about the bread that endures to eternal life. So he's, in this passage, the two main exhortations that he's giving here in verse 27, don't work for bread that perishes. And second, he says in verse 35, come to me. Now look at verse 34 and, and following after his little conversation here. In verse 32, uh, he says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. You said it was Moses, not really Moses. It was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Now Moses was a leader, of course, but it was God who gave the manna, not Moses. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. They're still not quite getting it. Not quite getting it. Just, this reminds me so much of the woman at the well. Do you remember that? He said, about water then. This is water that springs from eternal life. And she said, sir, give me this water always. I want to come out to the well all the time. And he said, well, you're getting there, but you're not quite there. They're getting there, but they're not quite there of what, who they're trying to say he is. So in verse 35, he said to them, I am the bread of life. He's trying to be real clear now. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, if you have a pencil or pen, you need to underline verse 35. This, this is really a key verse, one of the key verses in the gospel according to John. In this one sentence, Jesus reveals a great deal about himself. At least three important things he reveals about himself and his mission. First of all, Jesus came from heaven. 
He who came from heaven, heaven is the one who gives the bread. That's me. He's saying, I came from heaven. In verse 33, and if Jesus is the bread of life, and it logically follows that he has come from heaven, to spill any doubt, he repeats this in verse 38. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not do my will, but the will of him who sent me. That's again. In 51, which we've not read, he says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he's, he's not, he's trying to make things clear. I'm the one who came from heaven. This claim to come from heaven is vital to understand the identity of Jesus. He's not just a mere man. He is a man. We sung, sung about uh, uh, son of God and man in our song a few minutes ago. He is human, but he came down from heaven. He is divine. And we're all familiar with C.S. Lewis's great liar, lunatic, or lord of the universe. We cannot reduce Jesus to simply a good moral teacher or to a prophet because of things he said. No prophet said, I came from heaven. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, no one said that. I got a word from heaven. I've experienced God. He's commissioned me, all those things, but no one said, I came from heaven. Jesus said, I came from heaven. He's no prophet. He's beyond that. He's trying to clue them in a little bit who he is. So first of all, Jesus came from heaven. So let's be clear why, you're, why you are at church today and every Sunday, I hope. It's not just because you hear some wisdom from an ancient teacher named Jesus. We come to worship Amen. Jesus each Sunday because he is a living God of the universe. Uh, Catherine, thank you for picking out the songs. Worship team, thank you for leading us. These are good songs we're singing about Jesus being Lord, being King, being from heaven, being our Savior, being on the cross, being resurrected. All those songs are good. A lot of songs out there aren't good. Yeah, they feel good. But those are good songs we've been singing because we're trying to worship the living God of the universe. I hope that's why you're here on Sunday mornings, among other reasons. hope it's at the top. The second thing we learn about Jesus is from a statement that something's required of us in order to gain this life-giving bread. The bread is given only those who come to Jesus, only those who believe in him. That's who gets the bread, those who come to Jesus, those who believe in Jesus. The third thing we learn from this statement is what we receive now from Jesus has eternal value. With this bread from heaven, Jesus promises that we'll never hunger again. With his living water, woman of the well, we should never thirst again. Jesus is offering the best kind of nourishment we could ever hope for, permanent nourishment for our soul. At least those three things Jesus is saying here. In particular, I want to look at that second thing again. Jesus says in verse 35, we must come to him. We must believe in him. Now, what does that mean? What does believe in Jesus mean? The Greek word for believe means to entrust, to put one's faith in, to put your full weight on. Jesus then is requiring that we entrust ourselves to him, place our faith in him, who he is, and what he's done for us on the cross. 
Perhaps an illustration might help us with that a little bit to clarify this type of belief and trust that Jesus requires of us. More than a, a century ago, a boat was upset above Niagara Falls, and two men were being carrying that, carried down the current when person on the shore managed to float a rope out to them, and both men grabbed onto the rope. One of the men held onto it and was safely drawn to the bank to safety. The other man, seeing a great log come floating by, unwisely let go of the rope and clung to the log because it was bigger and apparently better to hang on to. Well, you know where the story's going. The log and the man went right over the falls, plummeting to his death because there's no union between the log and the shore. You see, friends, the size of the log was of no benefit to him who grasped it. It was needed a connection to the shore to produce safety. You with me so far? So it is when a person trusts in good deeds, such as coming to church or being a good neighbor or whatever the good things we might do to gain eternal life are not sufficient because they're not linked to Jesus on the shore, if you will. By faith, though it seems to be like a slender cord in the hands of a great God on the shore, he can pull us to safety. And his infinite power pulls in the connecting line and thus draws us away from destruction. Faith is not a work. Faith is just simply trusting in Jesus, even a slender cord. Now, Jesus goes on to say in, in the next paragraph, 36 to 40, let's look at those just for a moment, to speak of four wonderful things about those who come. Let's just look at 36 to 40. But I say to you that you have seen me and don't believe. That's the first thing. The people who know Jesus, I mean, know of him, see him, don't come to him. Not everybody comes to Jesus. Some don't. Verse 37, and all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. See, those, so who are those the Father gives to Jesus? He gives to Jesus those who believe, those who come, those who trust in Jesus. The Father gives to Jesus for safety and security, we would say, for salvation. Third, those that believe will be welcome, not cast out. All the Father gives me will come to me, verse 37. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, in the, in the Greek language, they have some, some things in English. Uh, they have things called double negatives. We don't have double negatives. We have them in English, and they're not right. But in, in Greek, it's double negatives. It's like no, not never, or never, never. It's emphatic. No, not never. No, not. That's really three, isn't it? That's what a word here in Greek. I will never, by no means, ever, no way, Jose, no, no, uh, will I cast out. So those that believe will be welcomed, will be not cast out, and then those who come are forever saved. Verse 38 and following, For I have come down from heaven, not do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Those who trust in Jesus, those who believe, that saving belief, trusting in Jesus, are forever safe. 
You will never be lost. You can never lose what Jesus gives. Belief and faith are required of us become justified by Christ. Do you remember when you first trusted Jesus for salvation? Do you remember that day? A few months ago, a few years ago, a few decades ago, a few centuries ago. Mine was last century. <laughs> okay, bad joke. Remember the first time we believed with our heart and confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And there's no doubting that we respond to the call of God. God must woo us. God must take the initiative. Then we respond. Faith is a rope that binds us to Christ. But where does that rope come from? It comes from the Father. It doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from the Father. The Apostle Paul gives us a clear answer when he states in Ephesians 2 that we've been saved by grace through faith. And it's not of yourselves. You can't save yourself. Salvation is a gift from God. We receive it by trusting. We receive it by faith. Well, time is flying, and I don't have time to really go through verses 41 to 51. And, and they, they start, I guess, it says grumbling. I see the word grumbling here. They, they're kind of pushing back with Jesus about eternal life. Back to 51, he continues, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for life of the world is my flesh. He continues, and I'll let you read that for yourself. See, friends, for those of us <coughs> who've already been given the bread of heaven, those who have already been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we should be reminded that we don't simply entrust ourselves to Christ once for salvation and forget about it. We should be entrusting ourselves to Christ daily, day by day. Really, moment by moment, that's right. Really, it's a... It's like our heart pumping, boom, boom, boom. We should be trusting Jesus like that every second. Every day we should choose to cling to the rope that pulls us to the shore rather than choosing to cling to more visible logs that float by. So the big question for each of us right now is, if, have you come to Jesus? He says, come to me. Have you come to him by believing in him, what he's done, by trusting in him. Have you eaten of the bread of life? Has your soul been satisfied by the bread, by this bread? Are you feeding on this bread daily? Come to Jesus for salvation. Come to Jesus for daily nourishment that we all need. Verse 35, he said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Let's pray. Wow. Jesus, what audacious statements. The picture of the manna in the wilderness is just a picture of you, the true bread. Father, for those who in this room have uh, not heard, have not come to you, we pray they would, that you would open their hearts so they might see you and high and lifted up and see their sin and needing a Savior, and they would come to you in faith and trust you for salvation. 
We thank for others, Father, who have done that already but need you daily. Perhaps we're hungry. We've not been feeding on you. Help us to turn to you day by day, moment by moment, for our nourishment. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.